welcome to the Preston Minster podcast. We want you to find your home, find your purpose and transform your city. Andy, it's great to have you with us today, man. We're so excited to have you here and to preach. You're kind of in Blackpool already and launching in the not too distant future. So I thought we best get in there before, you know, <laughs> the wheels booked. are in motion and you're fully booked <laughs> out for the next sort of 10, 20 years. So I thought we've got to get Andy uh, here to preach, which is great. So delighted you could uh, join us. But I thought we'd do a little bit of just kind of Q&A, get to sure. know Andy Dykes type thing. Can I call you Dykesy? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a good nickname. Sure. <laughs> but not now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, a- Andrew, um, tell us a bit about your background, where you come from, and that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. So, um, myself and my wife, Nick, we grew up in the Lake District in Cumbria, just sort of up the coast from here. And we moved around a little bit. We spent some time in the Northeast and in Carlisle and in Liverpool. Um, very much like Northwest um, folks. And we went, to, uh, we went to spend a bit of time in London at HDB, which was fantastic, but we sort of went on the token of like, we'll go if we can come back. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> thankfully, the Lord made a way for that. So yeah, good to be back in the Northwest. Awesome. So Andy, give us a snapshot of what is going on in Blackpool right now. Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting. There's this church slap bang in the center of Blackpool. If you've been to the town, you will have seen it. It's called St. John's. It's on this big pedestrianized square. And um, in early 2020, they, like the congregation there, they, they prayed night and day for Blackpool. And um, out of that came this vision for, could we start a resource church and particularly focus on reaching out to younger people in the town? Um, but they didn't really necessarily know how to do that. Um, fair enough. And um, uh, so the, the vicar who was there, Steve, this amazing guy, he, he basically phoned up the bishop and said, I've got this vision, we wanna do this. And I think God's saying to me, I need to step aside to make it happen. Wow. Unbelievable humility. He calls the bishop, uh, tells her. Um, and the same day, Bishop Jill gets this phone call from the church commissioners. They're like the guys with all the money in the Church of England. And they said, we love your vision to plant from Preston to Blackburn, uh, but we don't think you're being ambitious enough. And the place we really want to invest is Blackpool. Do you have a church in the center of Blackpool with a vision for reaching out to young people that's just become vacant? Um, And she gets these two phone calls. We somehow end up in in the mix. So we're sort of up working with the existing folks there at the moment, gathering a team uh, who are turning up in January to start building towards launching this church, um, which God willing will be good news for Blackpool and um, plant churches and partner with you guys as well. Absolutely, that's so good to hear, Andy. And you've given us a little bit of a snapshot of the vision there, but Mm. tell tell us about the dream, man. What is the dream for St. John's Blackpool and the whole town of Blackpool? Yeah, so, when we started looking at going to Blackpool, um, we obviously Googled the place for a bit. Um, and what you find if you Google Blackpool is just like headline after headline after headline that is hopelessness. So it's just like drug addiction, poverty, unemployment, whatever, just time and time and time again. And our conviction was 
surely God has a better story for Blackpool than that. Like, surely he's got better headlines than the BBC or Guardian can cook up or whatever. And to me, I think the church should be like the first people to speak those headlines over the place to say, we, like, this might be true, but it's not the final word. And so we want to basically, in everything we do, in our, in our preaching, our services, in running Alpha, in serving the poor, in whatever it is, basically say, like, this is not the last word. God has a better story for Blackpool. Um, and, and I think it's, it's powerful. When, when you say something negative over a place, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It kind of becomes true. When you say something hopeful, it's like that times 100. Because people see it, it's like, yeah, okay, this could happen. That's the vision. That's awesome, man. And I also love the fact that we're kind of, you know, part of the network. It's like Preston and Blackpool. There's a lot of animosity between the two towns. No more. (laughs) No more, (laughs) in Jesus' name. Like when we were doing the building project here, I can't remember if I told you. Yeah. it was, it was Nev, wasn't it, who found it, actually. There was one of the contractors who was from Blackpool. They'd been working really high up, and they'd written something really rude about Preston on the, on the, on the window up there. So I think when Nev was doing an inspection, and he was up in the, in the rafters, he sort of spotted it and told the, told the boss. And whoever did it got a massive telling off. Um, but yeah, we, part of the rewriting of the narrative is rewriting the narrative that, yeah, like it's the kingdom, Preston and Blackpool, like two places that have been disconnected and there's an animosity that actually we're working together to see the re-evangelization of this part of the world, which is really cool. Yeah, 100%. And that's why it's good, it's good to come here. It's great to be in Preston celebrating quality town. Absolutely. City brilliant. even. We're City. Only t- <laughs> Sorry, guys. We, you know, Just we, downgraded you. Just downgraded <laughs> you. <It's, laughs> we're not broken through quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Got a bit more time to go yet. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant. So would you please give Andy a massive Preston Minster welcome as he comes to speak? Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Sam. Hey, friends. Great to be with you, um, as I've already said. Um, I gather over the last sort of six weeks or so, we've been looking at the theme of how to change the world. Is that right? I am at the end of the right series. That's good. Um, And we've been following the journey of these two guys called Paul and Barnabas on this missionary trip in Acts 13 and 14. And there have been loads of great tips. I've been watching your videos. Loads of great tips on how to change the world. Um, Things like, like focus on God's faithfulness and on the story of Jesus, uh, because that equips you for changing the world. And actually, um, focus on telling people that story, because when we tell people the story of Jesus, then there's a power that comes by the Holy Spirit, and that that, like releases your prayers, it makes them powerful, all sorts of phenomenal tips. And my, my sort of final tip, really, as we wrap up, that I want to offer you on how to change the world is as simple as keep going, keep going. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Uh, so let's have a look at the passage, should we? This is Acts 14, 21 to 28. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they preached the word in Persia, they went to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let me tell you about two people. And the first is an American guy. And it's going to take some time to list the tale of disaster that was his life. But here we go. Um, So he first tried his hand at business. Uh, But a year later, his business had failed, and he gave it up and switched to politics. A year later, his political career was in ruins, and so he went back to business. But a year later, his second business had failed. That's how it started. Three years, three failures. It didn't end there. He asked his long-term girlfriend to marry him, and she said no. And then, tragically, his second girlfriend died at some point a bit later. And all these pressures led to a nervous breakdown, and it took him two years to get over it. He tried his hands at politics again, and he, was attempted, he attempted to be elected as the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he failed. He went for another post two years later, he failed again. After three more years, he ran for a seat in Congress, and he lost. Five years passed at this point before he saw office again, and at that time, he lost again. Tragically, his four-year-old son as well died during that time, and it led to seven lost years before he ran for the Senate again, at which point he lost. Amazingly, despite clearly being a complete loser, his party uh, elected him to run as vice president, but in that election, he and his running mate lost. Are you keeping up with the story? Two years later, he tried for the Senate, and he lost again, but Two years after that, after 24 years of trying and failing at virtually everything that he did, in 1860, this man was elected as the 16th president of the United States and is thought by many to be the greatest, and it was Abraham Lincoln. That was the first guy. Here's the second. He was um, born into a desperately poor family, and he had a poor education. He apprenticed as a shoemaker, but he wasn't good at it, and so he, he was fired. He tried running a school, but it functioned badly. His marriage was an unhappy one, and his daughter tragically died young. He was a deeply committed believer, and so he thought, forget that, I'm going to run a church. But he was forbidden from getting ordained, because by all reports, his sermons were too tedious and boring. And I know what you're thinking, it doesn't stop them getting ordained today, but it did back then. Despite such a a terrible track record, he started this missionary organization. It only had one person in it, which was him, and he moved to India. He translated the Bible into 29 different languages, and then one day there was a fire in his house, and he lost 10 years of translation work in that fire. And then he sat in just just the wreckage of all of his hopes and aspirations for his career and sensed the Lord say to him, start again. And so he did start again. And because of this man's obedience and perseverance, the lives of literally millions of people 
were changed. He's become known as the father of modern missions, and his name was William Carey. And I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, I just think, I want to be somebody who has that kind of perseverance. I want to be somebody who could lose 10 years and hear the Lord say, go again and go again. And um, I don't know where you're sort of coming into church today. We've, me and my wife had a pretty tough week. A few unusual things have happened. And uh, my sort of heart is, like, when those things happen, how will I go again? And I, I want to offer you just three tips, really, to keep going. Tips taken from the amazing example of Paul and Barnabas. So tip one is, if you want to keep going, you've got to keep moving. If you want to keep going, you've got to keep moving. Um, one whole side of my family are really into classic cars. And uh, I don't really know anything about them, but you know, they're, they're cool. And um, not like Renault Twingo cool, but they're pretty cool. And um, I also realized that I'm at a church of an ex-mechanic. And so we're, we're straying into dangerous ground as I talk about cars. Um, but the one thing, I'll look to Sam for confirmation, the one thing I think I know about classic cars is that if you, if you keep them in a garage and you wrap them up in their blanket and they're very clean and pristine and all of this lot, but you never drive them, then you get into all sorts of bother. All sorts of things start to go wrong on the cars. So like the brakes are going to seize up and the tires, they go flat on the bit that they're sort of resting on and then the battery dies, and then the rubber hoses all throughout the car, they go hard and brittle and crack, and then there's fluid leaking, and then the engine can go. All sorts of terrible things happen. And so the key is, if you want to keep one of these cars, you either take it off the road, or you keep it moving. You keep driving it. And in the passage that we've um, read... We, we just see this relentless moving from Paul and Barnabas. They keep going. They're in the final leg of their journey. And even the final leg contains all sorts of obstacles that they're going to overcome. If you skip back just um, a paragraph, we see some of the context of this final leg. So in verse 19, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And just remember that for a second. They're in Lystra. And they're telling people about Jesus, and it's going kind of well, and then it goes a bit too well, and everybody thinks that they're a god, and that's not great. And then um, these people come from Antioch and Iconium, right? And remember those as well, Lystra, Antioch, and Iconium. And these guys come, and they convince the people in Lystra that Paul and Barnabas are bad news, and uh, they encourage them to try and stone Paul to death which they do. They throw rocks at him until he's un unconscious. They drag him out of the city and they dump him in the street to die. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they escape. They presumably rest and heal. And uh, then they're on their way back and they're planning a few stops on the way. And the first three stops that they make, can you guess what they're going to be? It's Lystra, Antioch, and Iconium. Like that, that is an absolutely insane level of courage and conviction to moving on and cracking on and overcoming, um, overcoming obstacles. And this is like a common pattern for Paul. Basically, it goes persecution, escape, spend time with the church, 
go again. Persecution, escape, time with the church, go again. Look at the list of places he visits, even just on the last leg of this journey. Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Pisidia, Pamphylia, Persia, Italia, then back to Antioch again. So the, so the Antioch, where he was supposed to be finishing, he got there and then thought, I'm going to do a whole new leg again, just at the end. Like Paul is so obsessed, he is so obsessed with people hearing about Jesus that he is willing to just go again and again and again. And it's a challenge for us, I think, to ask the question, like, are we, are we so obsessed with serving our town with serving our cities, with telling people about Jesus, with serving people in need, that we will just go again and again and again. And I I have to say, like, there are times to pull back, and we'll talk about this in a second, and there are times to press on, but I don't think now God is calling the church to settle down. He's not calling us to settle down. Our towns and cities need a church that is on the front foot, going again and again and again. To use the analogy... Like, this is not a time to go in the garage and wrap ourselves in blankets. This is a time to get out and press on. Like, basically, the garage mentality effectively says this is as good as it gets, basically. And coming here is so encouraging because it's so good. Like, what a phenomenal church this is. The building's great and the leaders are great and the pastries are great and all of this stuff. But this is not as good as it gets. God has more for his church than this. There are more churches to be planted. There are more people to be invited. There are more people to be served. There are more lives to be turned around. And so I want to encourage you as a first step, keep moving. Don't settle. Don't settle in your discipleship. Don't settle in following Jesus. Let me give you just one example um, from my life. Um, I'm quite lucky to have lots of time to read the Bible. Um, It's part of the job. So that's fantastic. And uh, one of the ways I read the Bible is with Nick. In the mornings, uh, we read it together. And um, a few months ago, I felt like God was challenging me to say, uh, spend time memorizing scripture. That's the challenge. And I sort of thought, you know, I have to prepare all these talks. I end up remembering stuff. You know, I don't don't know if I want to spend extra time memorizing the Bible. But I thought, hey, this this is what I think God's saying. So I downloaded this app highly recommend it. It's called Bible Me. And uh, what you do is you add in verses and then it'll test you on the verses and help you to memorize them. And I've just found like last few months, I don't know, I've probably memorized about 20 verses or something like that. And I've just found like the, the, the depth and the like extra life that was available as I've sort of said, okay, let's have a go at that. Let's have a go at that. Like my prayer life is coming alive. Like as I'm speaking to people, I'm finding the words just more accessible. And like that's just a tiny little example. But I just want to sort of use it to encourage you. Like seek out the opportunities that God puts in front of you to go deeper and to step out more, to invest more in his word or in prayer or whatever it might be. That's tip one. If you want to keep going, you've got to keep moving. Um, Tip two. If you want to keep going, you need to keep persevering. Um, I was reading this week about people who climb Everest, and um, I learned that it doesn't actually take all that long to climb up and down Everest, but if you want to go, you need to set aside weeks or even months for the trip. And the reason for that is because to get to the top of Everest, you actually need to go up and down and up and down 
multiple times to make it work. So you go to base camp or whatever it is, and then you might climb a quarter of the way up and then come down. And like a quarter of the way up Everest is a long way. <laughs> and then you'll go halfway up and then you'll come all the way down again. And some people even leave the mountain entirely at that point. Can you imagine that? You're trying to get to the top of Everest. You climb halfway up and you go all the way down and off the mountain. And you go up and down and up and down and up and down until you're ready and becoming acclimatized to this trip. And then when you think you're ready and the weather is right, you pass this point that's so dangerous that you wouldn't want to go over it many times. So you pass it and you just press onto the top. And then you come down. And uh, I, I read this comment from a guy who said, of every 10 uh, people who die on Everest, nine of them die on the way down. And in our passage, it feels like there's lots of progress of climbing, but there's also quite a bit of opposition of coming down. And we've got to be aware of that because nine people fall on the way down. In verse 22, it says, they encourage the disciples saying we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And you might think, as encouragements go, that's not a great one. You know, it's like, <laughs> be encouraged, Prestonminster. There are hardships that God has in store for you. Um, but actually, I think it is an encouragement for us because following Jesus is quite hard and there's a lot of suffering and hardship that comes with following Jesus. And if we know that in advance and are ready for that in advance, then when it comes, we know that Jesus hasn't abandoned us. And I just want to zoom in for a second on that phrase. We, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Because I, th I think it's interesting, because if it was me, I guess I would have thought that it might be something like we, we don't have to go through many hardships because of the kingdom of God. But it's not. It's we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I might think, well, if Jesus has sort of died in my place, if he's suffered for me, presumably I'm off the hook and I don't need to. So what's that about? Um, well, the first thing to say is that in one sense that's true. Jesus has defeated suffering. He's defeated pain. He's defeated sickness. He's defeated death. And he will put the world to rights. And there will be a time where we can say, we don't have to suffer. We're off the hook because Jesus did it. But the second thing is that in the meantime, until that day where Jesus puts the world to rights, he asks his followers to share in the work that he's done. To say, like, you can be in me and I'll be in you. And when we do that, we share everything. And that includes the suffering. It's like Jesus, Jesus' journey sort of goes like life into suffering, into death, into new life, into glory. And he says to his followers, like, if you follow me, that's the journey. Romans 8, in, in Romans 8, Paul says this. Now, if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. But, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Following Jesus will involve suffering, involves costly things 
um, involves things like giving sacrificially that hurts. It involves things like uh, taking stands over unpopular standards. It involves uh, things like battling for holiness in our lives. All of these things are painful and involve suffering. But, but don't, don't worry. Keep going. Keep pressing through the suffering because our suffering is not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So, if you want to keep going, you've got to keep moving. Don't, don't settle. Keep going. If you want to keep going, you've got to keep persevering because there's glory coming. The last point, if you want to keep going, you need to keep praying. Um, last week, my granddad, if he was still alive, he would have been 93. And on the day that would have been his birthday, my, my family, sort of to mark it, uh, sent loads of photos of my granddad's 90th birthday. Um, and uh, granddad John, he didn't really like talking to people very much. He, liked, he preferred to talk to Jesus, basically, and he wasn't very interested in talking to other people. Um, one example, I remember one time calling him and uh, I said, hi, granddad, it's Andy, just calling to say hi. And he said, okay, thank you, see you later. And went, to, and went to hang up the phone, genuinely. And I had to be like, no, no. Like, I was after more than that. Um, that's the extent to which he didn't like talking to people. And so it was quite surprising when, on his 90th birthday, he quieted in the room and gave a speech. And um, he spoke mostly to the family. And I remember he ended his speech by saying this. I pray daily for each of you, that you serve the Lord always until we meet again in his glorious kingdom. And um, shortly after that, my granddad died. And I, th I think what he'd realized was that if you want to go the distance in following Jesus, which he definitely did, and if you want other people to go the distance in following Jesus, then like, keeping on moving is great and keeping on persevering is great, but at the end of the day, it's nothing if we don't keep praying. Like that's where the power comes from. And in our passage, Paul and Barnabas, they appoint elders and it says that they prayed and fasted and committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. And what an amazing picture that is of the invitation that God has for us to be committed to him and to put our trust in him. You know, on, on any night of the week, or any morning of the week, in any room, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, he waits to spend time with you. What an unbelievable honor that is. And if you want to find like, strength or encouragement to keep going, then like, look no further than spending time with Jesus, because it's all available there if we prioritize prayer. One of my favorite verses that I've been learning is in Psalm 84. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day with Jesus than a thousand anywhere else. And I think it might be divisible as well. Like better is one hour in God's presence than a thousand anywhere else. Or there is more strength and encouragement. There's more perseverance available in one minute of time with Jesus 
than in a thousand minutes doing anything else, which is about 16 hours. So if you want to persevere, if you're struggling with something, if you're feeling encouraged to press on, don't spend a day planning it. Spend a minute with Jesus because there's more possibility there. But why not a minute? Why not, why not five? Or whatever it is that you can carve out to take with Jesus to be encouraged and strengthened. Got to prioritize prayer. Karl Barth um, said this, and then we're going to pray. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. My prayer for you is that uh, this, this world, not just Preston, this world is changed because of this church. But if that's going to happen, we're going to need to keep moving. Don't settle down. We're going to need to keep persevering through the tough stuff. But most of all, we're going to need to prioritize prayer. So should we pray now? Would you like to stand? Thank you so much for listening to the Preston Minster podcast. We'll see you again soon.